Okay. Welcome back to part two on uh, preparing to serve the Lord. And uh, in part one, we, we kind of looked at the Old Testament background. So to now we will look into the New Testament more. And in particular, um, we want to look at the dynamics of this, um, particularly through the word transformation. I want to look at the two key passages that talk about transformation. Uh, we'll, our main passage will be Romans 12, uh, but first we, I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 onwards. But transformation is uh, the word metamorphosis, and it's a certain type of change. It's, it's talking about a change on, on the outside, but a change that comes from the inside. It's the, 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 the result of an inner life being revealed on the outside. And in fact, there's a third time that this word is used for Jesus' transfiguration. It's the same word. When Jesus was transfigured before his disciples, the glory of God that was in him always, it was veiled by his flesh uh, God allowed that glory to be revealed on the outside, and that was his transfiguration. But in the same way, the Bible says that we are going through a process of transformation, of metamorphosis. All right, We might feel like a, a bit of a caterpillar on the outside, but inside is that beautiful butterfly that is coming through, praise God, and I believe that when we are born again, we receive a new spirit, a new, we are new creations in Christ. Praise God, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And, and, and now we are, there is a process of transformation or sanctification whereby the life and nature of Christ that has already been, is in us, in, in the spirit, is now coming forth on the outside. And this is all related to what we're talking about as well. Um, and, and just to set the scene, um, I, I've been doing uh, a series on, on, on Revelation TV and, and so on, on the temple and the dynamics of the temple. Um, and the, we, you can, we can learn so much from that. Um, we are made to be temples of the living God. The, our spirit is the Holy of Holies. And God's spirit lives. And the Holy of Holies was also the throne room. And, and God lives and is enthroned in our spirit if we're born again. But he wants to flow and fill our soul, our holy place. And our body too. He wants to flow through our bodies too. We are to be temples of the living God. God to be glorified through us. And, and also, God... Uh, at, at the, there was a veil separating the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. And actually, in, in some of the depictions, I think that there were two veils, really, between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. One was on the, on the God's side, the Holy of Holies, and the other was on the man's side. And on the cross, as you know, when Jesus paid the price for our sin, the veil of the temple was rent into. And that was signifying that as far as God was concerned, the way is open into his presence, into the Holy of Holies. 
into the secret place. He is, he is dealt, he's paid the price for our sin. So he is, he, 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 his justice is satisfied. He's propitiated, which means we can enter boldly to the throne of grace and receive from him. And, but there is also another veil. Now, this is where we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, which is one of the key scriptures that describes the transformation process. And um, so the blockage is removed from God's side, but there can still be a blockage over our heart. And uh, this is a veil of unbelief. So the glory of God is shining forth from the Spirit, but we cannot see that if, our, if there is this veil of unbelief over our heart, which separates us from the light of God. So 2 Corinthians 3.16, talking about the Jewish people, but it, it's talking about anyone who is, uh, you know, in unbelief. 2 Corinthians 3.16, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart, keeping the heart in darkness. How is this veil to be removed? So that the Spirit of God can flow into our soul and fill our soul. And the key is given very simply in 2 Corinthians 3.16, and it's given in more detail in Romans 12, but here it says, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord... In a sense, that's all it takes for that veil to be removed. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In the, in the Greek tense, it's present tense. In other words, it's, it's not a once and for all thing. It's an ongoing process. So in other words, as you turn to the Lord, the Holy Spirit begins to take that veil away. The more you turn to the Lord, the more that veil is being removed by the Spirit of God. And so what does it mean to turn to God? It, it simply means you, you direct your heart to God. You're, you're actually surrendering your heart to God. You're dedicating your heart to God. You're, you're turning away from the world, from sin, from other things, and you are purposefully turning to God. And when you turn to God, it says, the veil starts to be removed and the transformation process starts to take place. And, and again, the, the key is drawing near to God, dedicating ourselves to God, and that initiates something very real. God responds to that, as, as we're going to see as we read on. Um, and so we can, we can only do that. We can only really turn to God because natural man does not want to turn to God, partly because he would be afraid. Well, you know... I'm aware of my sin. I don't really want to turn to God and be told off or, you know, feel like I'm condemned. Uh, only when you know the, the, the grace and the mercy in Jesus Christ, that by his blood he's forgiven you of your sin and that he welcomes you to himself. That gives you the confidence then to turn to God, knowing that he loves you and he's going to accept you. He's not going to, to condemn you when you do that. And, and so you can draw near to God. And the, the best way to draw near to God is with praise and thanksgiving. You know, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. In other words, start thanking him for the blood of Jesus. All right, because thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven me of my sins. Thank you 
that you've cleansed me of my sins. Thank you, Lord, that I'm under your blessing, that I'm accepted in the beloved. Thank you, Lord, that I can clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And as you thank, thank him, you, you, you draw near. You are turning to the Lord. Thank you that, that you hear me when I cry. And as you turn to the Lord, the veil is being taken away. And ultimately, as, as we heard earlier, you know, you start with praise and thanksgiving, and then you, when you really come into God's presence in worship. Because worship is, is surrender. It's the surrender of your soul and your body to God. And, and when, you, when you come into the immediacy of his presence and you surrender yourself to him in worship, then you are then fully turning to the Lord. And I can guarantee you from this promise that the veil of unbelief, that, that is like, that we all know what that is, that, that we, we feel separated from spiritual realities, um, that veil will be removed and you'll begin to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those who are focusing their eyes on the Lord, they will see God. Your eyes will be opened and your ears will be opened. That's what we were talking about. The Bible always uses those two things in parallel, by the way, the opening of the ears and the opening of the eyes to, to see the light of God and to hear the voice of God. So as you turn to the Lord, as you dedicate to God, your eyes are opened to see the light and your ears are open to hear his word. And these are supernatural things that actually happen inside us. And then he says, and this is the start of this process, because in verse 17, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, <clears throat> now the Lord is the Spirit. See, when you do that, God steps in. The Lord is the Spirit. And I love that implication that God's going to take charge of the process. We can't change ourselves, let's be honest. We can't change ourselves with our own willpower. But what we can do with our willpower is direct our hearts to the Lord, lift up our souls to the Lord, turn to the Lord, and then the Lord will take charge. The Holy Spirit will take charge, and he is able to change us and make us like Jesus. And it says, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I love that. Liberty. And, the, and what is liberty? First of all, it's liberty from sin. But it's also a positive thing, isn't it? Liberty is, I, I like to think of it as becoming who we're meant to be. You know, when you really feel free, you are, you are being who you meant to be. It's just, it's hard to describe, you know, that sense of freedom. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I believe the Holy Spirit lives inside your spirit. And, and your, your spirit is, is free from sin. Your spirit is born again. But in our soul, we don't always have liberty, do we? Because those parts of our soul that the, that the Spirit of the Lord is not in control of uh, comes into bondage of different sorts worry and you name it, you know the list. But this is the promise that as we let the Spirit of God fill our soul, He brings us into liberty. He sets us free from sin. The th only thing that will set you free from sin is the Spirit of God filling your soul. 
you know, you can put on a good act whereby you do the right thing, but you're not really free from sin until you want to do the right thing. Yes, somebody can drag you to church. And yes, you tick the box, I went to church this week. But really, you're not really living in the fullness uh, is when you delight to do God's will. Nobody has to force you to do it. You want to do it. Yeah? Now, I'm not claiming that I'm, I'm in that place. You know what I mean? But I'm, we're all on, the, on a journey towards the ideal. But the ideal is not just that we do the right thing, that we rejoice in loving people. We rejoice in loving God. We rejoice to worship God. We rejoice to do the will of God. Only the Holy Spirit can produce that kind of transformation in us, that, w that we become like Jesus. And, and so uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And it says, verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, praise God. So as we turn to the Lord, that veil is removed so that now we can perceive, we can see, we can hear. That, and we become aware of the reality of the Spirit. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. I think the mirror probably is, is saying the importance of the Word of God. Often we see, we see God and the things of God through his Word. One day we will see, without a mirror, we'll see him face to face. But right now this is describing the spiritual dynamics beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, the outshining of the Lord. In other words, the Lord is shining from his throne room into your soul. And while the veil is over there, you're, we don't see it. We're cut off from, from that glory. But when the veil is being removed, we now begin to perceive in our heart the glory of the Lord shining that's the Holy Spirit wanting to fill our soul. What is the Holy Spirit like? Well, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, and so on. So that's the nature of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. But he wants to produce that as fruit in your life. He will produce love. He will form that love into your soul, that joy into your soul, that patience into your soul, that goodness or generosity into your soul, that faithfulness into your soul. That's the, it's, these are the characteristics of Christ that only the Holy Spirit can produce in, in us. Praise God. And it says that as we behold the glory of the Lord, then the, the Spirit comes into us and fills us. And it then says we are being transformed. And that, again, is the word metamorphosis, which means that, the, the, that an inner life of Christ is now changing our souls, changing our attitudes, changing our thoughts, changing our emotions, changing our souls and our life. And it's, and it's not us trying to put on a good Christian life. It's something that is that the Holy Spirit is producing from the inside of us. Now, when the, when the Holy Spirit fills us and we still have to obey, that's important. You know, he'll empower. It says that God works in us, Philippians 2.13, I think it is, to, to will and to do his good pleasure. 
Um, so he, he forms in us the willingness and he empowers us to do God's will. But it's the Holy Spirit that changes us into the same image, into the image of Jesus, from glory to glory. Hallelujah. So we are all works in progress. He is transforming us from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's God who does it. So again, I want you to see this, this agrees with what we said in the first part, that as we dedicate ourselves to God, as we turn to God, as we say, your will be done, not my will be done, um, then God takes that dedication and he starts making that real in our life. His spirit is released into our soul and he starts to transform us. Praise God. And it is by the spirit of the Lord. God will do the hard work. All right. But he does need our surrender, our worship. Hallelujah. And, and so as we turn to him, as we seek him, as we look to him, the spirit of the Lord will transform us from glory to glory by filling us with himself. Hallelujah. And making us more like Jesus. Wonderful stuff. Now, that tells us, that emphasizes particularly that it's the Holy Spirit who does the transformation. Now I want to go to Romans 12, which is my main scripture now, uh, which talks about transformation as well. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Okay, this is talking about everything else that he's been talking about in Romans, all the things God has done for us in salvation, all his mercies, all his forgiveness for us and all the rest. How are we to respond to that? And, and it's like that, that, that servant that was loved by that master. He, he responds to that master by saying, I offer myself to be your bond servant. In the same way, this should be our response so all the mercies of God, he says that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. By the way, to present your body, you also have to present your soul. All right. Uh, as an exercise, I challenge you to try and present your body to God without presenting your soul as well to God. <laughs> it, it can't be done. In other words, you, you present yourself your whole life to God. Uh, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, <coughs> we have to get the full truth of this transformation. You have to put together Romans 12 and the 2 Corinthians 3. This word for sacrifice is thumos, which really is talking about a burnt offering. All right. We are not meant to be sin offerings. <laughs> Only Christ can be a sin offering, um, obviously. Uh, but it does say that Christ was also a burnt offering unto God. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says that Christ was a, uh, sacrificed himself to God as a sweet-smelling savor. That's a burnt offering. And in the burnt offering, the, the animal was, was literally pretty much the whole animal were, was burnt on the altar, the altar of burnt offering in the outer courtyard there. And it was consumed by fire 
In fact, the initial fire, I think the concept of it was God, uh, when Solomon dedicated the temple, it was the fire of God that fell from heaven that consumed it. And in theory, God said, keep that fire ever burning. So, so the, it, it, there should be a continual fire on the altar, it says. So the picture of the burnt offering is this, this one. Obviously, God didn't ask a man to get on that. that. So an animal was placed on that altar to represent that man. And, and this man wanted to say, Lord, I want to offer everything to you. And, and that was represented by that animal being offered up as a burnt offering, a sweet-smelling offering to God. And, and that was the fire of God that was consuming that animal, you see. Um, and we see stories in the Bible where literally the fire, like at Mount Carmel, and I think the Jewish tradition, I think, is almost certainly right that the fire fell on Abel's sacrifice, which was one reason why Cain got jealous, you know, um, but that God showed his approval that way. So the, this is a continual offering. Now, on the cross, you see, Jesus fulfilled this all because the first three hours on the cross, Jesus was a burnt offering. He offered up all his righteousness, his perfect human life, he offered up to God on our behalf so that he, we might receive his righteousness. Then at noon, the sun was turned to darkness. And that was a symbol of the sun of righteousness being made black with our sin. And God was showing in the heavens what was happening on the earth, that at that moment, the sin of the world, the, your sin, my sin, was being put on Jesus. And the sun of righteousness, as it were, was taking our sin. And for the next three hours, he was the sin offering. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and Jesus was then the sin offering. But he was also the burnt offering for the first three hours. He took our sin, but he also released his righteousness for us. So that when we accept Jesus and his death for us on the cross, we receive that great exchange. Praise God. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. Hallelujah. But anyway, um, in this case, it says that we are to be a burnt offering. We are to be a living sacrifice, a living burnt offering. So he's appealing to the imagery of the burnt offering here to describe what is going on. Because although it seems that 2 Corinthians is explicit about the Holy Spirit's role, in Romans it, doesn't, it isn't explicit, but it's, it's there. It's implicit in the burnt offering because our God is a consuming fire. And let me just finish the sentence. That you might present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or worship. So this is our worship where we offer ourselves as a burnt offering to God. You see, what is going on here? When you offer yourself to God in this way, the fire of the Holy Spirit starts to come upon you, you see, and fill you. That's the picture of the burnt offering, a continual fire. Ideal, ideally, our life should be a continual burnt offering to God where we, uh, the fire of God comes up, and it's a consuming fire. What does that mean? That as we 
dedicate ourselves to God, we are allowing the consuming fire to come and purify. He will consume those idols in our heart that shouldn't be there, those things that are too important to us. Well, I don't have any idols. Well, if you spend all the day worrying about a particular thing, that's an idol to you. That's too important to you, that, that you've allowed that thing to pull you out of the presence of God. Anything that takes you out of your heart, away from the presence of God, is an idol, because you've attached yourself to that thing and you can't let it go. And, and as you come and worship God, what he does is he starts, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The fire of the Holy Spirit will fill your soul and purify you from those impurities. And you will start to feel more and more free. Isn't that what happens when you start to really worship God? You, at the end of that, you, you feel free. You know, you're full of worries before, and now suddenly don't you feel released, don't you? What's happened there is that the fire of the Holy Spirit has, has been able to purify some of that. And the more you offer your heart to him in worship, the more he can do that purifying work. He will consume whatever shouldn't be there. Praise God. And he will make you into that sweet-smelling offering to God. Praise God. And, and so the Holy Spirit gets involved in your worship and, and your surrender. Praise God. We are, that's what it means, that we are a living sacrifice. This word sacrifice is thumos. It's, it is the word for a sacrifice. It has to be a burnt offering because it's not a sin offering. All right, so again, this is the principle that as we present ourselves to God, soul and body, then the, the fire of the Holy Spirit comes in, or as Corinthians says, that the glory of the Lord by the Spirit starts to fill our souls. And wherever the Spirit is, it displaces whatever shouldn't be there. It burns it away. And he begins to transform us. Praise God. I think these are, these are, are tremendous verses. And um, he fills us with his presence. Then the next verse says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here it says that one, you can, there's two alternatives only two alternatives of winning, of, of living. One is being conformed to this world. And the word to be conformed now is to be, is the word that talks about being changed by outside pressures. All right, we might say by the spirit of this world. All right, you are conformed to this world by the spirit of the world. That's an external force and of course, if there is nothing inside you to resist that, the world will press you into its image. The alternative is to be transformed, to be not be conformed to this world. Literally, it's to this age. Be not conformed to this age, but be transformed. That's the alternative, which means the Holy Spirit filling your soul. Praise God. Uh, those are the only two alternatives Actually, conformed means to be pressed into an external mold by external pressures, squeezed from the outside. Philip's translation says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. 
The message says, don't become, become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. And I, I, um, I'm sure you remember in school maybe, uh, or you've seen this somewhere, an experiment that shows air pressure. All right, if, if you have a can of something, all right, then it seems like it's, it's quite stable. There's no, you're not really aware of air pressure. All right, because, but the reality is there is quite a strong air pressure, which is the weight of all the atmosphere pressing down on us. We, we don't think about it because we're used to it. Um, and the, the can doesn't crumple because there is air pressure inside the can that balances. But you can take a vacuum pump and you can suck out all the air inside that can. And I don't know if you've seen pictures of this or seen this demonstrated. Almost magically, when you do that, that cr can crumples up and gets squashed and squeezed into a contorted shape. And now you can see this invisible air pressure is quite real. And it's quite powerful in what it can do if there's nothing on the inside. And so that's what it is. If you have no Holy Spirit inside you, if you are empty, because there's nothing of God in you, there's no word of God, there's no spirit of God in, in your soul, then of course you will be conformed to this world. You've got no inner resistance to the pressures of the world and in your soul you become an ugly thing. All right, you become a contorted thing. That's when people see demons, for instance, they, they never look very pretty. You know, they're some kind of ugly thing. And that because in the spirit, the more you yield to sin, the uglier you become on the inside. And that's what being conformed to the world is like. Um, but if we allow ourselves to be full of the spirit, the spirit pressure on the inside of us will actually empower us to resist those pressures of the world. Um, so that's why Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let it squeeze you by its values and its spirit. And, and the analogy is quite good, you see, because the, the air is a picture of spirit. So the spirit inside you, if you're a believer, is the Holy Spirit. But there's also spirit outside you, which is the spirit of the world. The spirit of God is stronger than the spirit of the world. But you've got to make sure that the Holy Spirit fills your soul. Then you've got the resistance to the evil spirit that is in the world. All right. So be do not be conformed. Um, Ephesians 4.17, I'll just mention this. He says we, we shouldn't walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And that word futility is emptiness, vanity. In other words, people who don't know God, they are empty as far as the presence of God is concerned. And so over their lifetime, they, they will come under the power of sin more and more. Um, because they've got no inner resistance. And often people have to come to the end of themselves before, they're, before they realize their need for God. You know, if they, they think they're good. They think they're righteous people. 
and then eventually they, you know, sin will overtake them. And then hopefully they will, they will crash and then they will repent and turn to God. You, you shouldn't have to go that way, but <laughs> we are only what we're meant to be when we are uh, full of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a bit, our soul is, is fragile in itself. Um, I think of our soul like a contact lens. If it's, it's, it has to be in liquid, otherwise it gets all hard. And, and, and so our soul, apart from the spirit, is, is very weak and fragile. It, it's not designed to handle pressure. We are not meant to operate soulishly. That is, according to our own strength. Um, then we, that's when we get all stressed out and all the rest of it. That's a sign that we're trying to handle things ourselves rather than turning them to God and asking God to fill us with his spirit. And so we need, the soul needs to be in the liquid of the spirit. Or another way to look at it, tire pressures. All right. We have this one tire that keeps going down. It takes about a month or two and then it goes down. Then we have to blow it up. And it's so subtle that we can't, the, the garage people don't seem to know can't seem to locate the problem. But anyway, it made me think about this, that your soul is like that tire. It is designed to be filled with the, the pneuma, the spirit, which is the same word as for wind or air. Um, when the tire is full to the right pressure, then great stuff. But if you let the tire pressure go down and down and down, that tire now gets easily worn out. It overheats. It, it can't do the job it's meant to do. Um, it gets a bit of a struggle to drive on that tire. It's very prone to punctures because that's like your soul. You have to keep the, the fullness of the spirit in your soul if, if you're going to drive smoothly through life. Otherwise, you'll, you'll go along like this, you know, with your, your tire pressures are right down and just about getting by, you know what I mean? So what I'm saying really is that as we allow ourselves to be, okay, do not, so it starts in verse 1, Romans 12, 1, we dedicate to God, we worship God, we turn to God. And as we turn to God, we become this living, this burnt offering and the fire of God the Holy Spirit comes more and more upon us. And he says, then we must allow that, allow that to happen. Be transformed. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your soul. And what it's saying is that as you surrender to God and as you allow the Holy Spirit to fill your soul, he will renew your mind. He will renew your soul. He will fill you with newness of life. And by his spirit, you will change. Your motivations will change. Your, your, your thoughts will change. Your mind will be renewed. And I think it's talking about your whole soul. Your soul will be renewed by the presence of God filling you, you see. And, and now, with that renewed mind, you can, your, your ear is open to hear him. You, you can see him, you see. And we, uh, 
are walking in greater and greater light. You see, all Christians are walking in fellowship with God to a degree. They have a certain degree of light. But just like, you know, if you had um, lights in a room, what's it called? You can adjust the intensity, the dimmer switch, yeah. Um, it's a bit like that. The more you turn to the Lord, the more the light is turned up. The more you kind of turn away from the Lord, the, the light level goes down. Because what's happening is that veil over your heart and mind either gets stronger or weaker. But the more you turn to the Lord, the more the light of the Spirit floods your soul. And the more you see God, and the more you hear God. And all of this is your preparation, for, you know, to serve Him. So, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. This takes us to the next step. We, we let God, we dedicate to God, we let God fill our soul. He then renews our mind, our soul. Uh, we are now being made fit to serve him, but then we must obey him. Okay, because he will start speaking to us. He will start telling us what to do. It might be a simple thing like send an email to that person, encourage them, pray for that person, intercede for that person. Whatever it might be, it is important that you actually obey that moving of the Spirit upon you. Suddenly he gives you a desire to do a certain thing or to help out in some way in the church or whatever it might be. It is important now that you obey it. That's what he's saying now. Prove out, demonstrate the perfect will of God. So you have to let God change you on the inside and then you need to release the spirit. You receive the spirit when you surrender and when you worship and you release the spirit when you obey. So it is also important that you obey when God speaks to you, you obey. And that's, you start serving God as he directs you. And then you will prove, you will demonstrate for all to see the perfect, acceptable will of God in your life by your obedience. That, that's the transformation. So what, what happens, for example, as you seek God, the Spirit of God fills your soul. And one of the key areas that he, of his will for your life is your spiritual gift, your spiritual ministry, whatever that is. That is in your spirit, okay? Okay, uh, all right. I'll just mention, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to go too kind of... Anyway, it's, I, I find it very interesting that there are three things that are, we're in the Ark of the Covenant, all right? The law, the um, Aaron's rod that budded, and the manna. But I just want to talk about Aaron's rod that budded. I believe that represents your anointing of ministry. See, for Aaron, he was the high priest. And the fact that that almond rod supernaturally budded represented the fact that he was the, the anointed, authorized high priest. And... God has a gifting in your spirit, okay, that um, as you allow that transformation process to happen, that will be released into your soul, you see. And uh, in my case, 
I was uh, growing up, I was a bit of a nerd, and uh, in my sixth form particularly, I just, all I was interested in was studying maths. And I, and I wanted to be a maths professor, you know, and then I, I wasn't safe at that time, but I went up to, to university, to Oxford, and then I got saved in my first term at university, which was wonderful, praise God. And um, I remember, and, 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 and obviously had a wonderful Christian union, and I, I got right into it, everything, very quickly. And uh, I remember coming home with my mate, uh, visiting my friends, um, and I started telling them I've become a Christian. And I began to wax eloquent. I'm sure I overdid it, you know. And, and one of my friends said to me, something's happened to you because before, as in the case of many mathematicians, um, before you could hardly put a sentence together, you know. That, that wasn't your thing, you know. Um, and now suddenly you are, you know. And what actually happened is, I don't, looking back I can see it, that God was actually releasing a, a teaching gift that was absolutely hidden. No way that could have been detected before. <laughs> I was scared, in fact, of standing up in front of a class and saying anything. Um, it was very much hidden. But when I started turning to the Lord, that gift that was really in my spirit started coming forth. Now, some people have natural gifts. They're strong naturally in a certain area. But even then, if they just depend on that, their natural strength, they might be able to do something well, but it won't be anointed. So they then have to submit that natural strength to the Lord and let God's anointing come on it, and then that will be awesome. You, you know what I mean? Now, I wasn't naturally strong in terms of being a teacher, but, praise God, that was in my spirit. And, and so over the next few years, I found myself becoming a school teacher, first of all, as part of my preparation. But that teaching gift began to dominate my life. That's because that was my primary spiritual gift, I suppose. And, and in the same way, God has a gift or more in your spirit. Um, that supernatural gift I'm talking about. And, and as you worship the Lord and turn to him, that gift will start to come forth. So you, you discover who you're meant to be through being in the presence of God. Um, and so the, the good, acceptable, perfect will of God for your life is a big part of that is your spiritual gift. And this is why in Romans 12, Paul now moves into the area of spiritual graces, spiritual ministries, all right? It's, it's all connected together. As you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, as the Spirit of God starts to take possession of you, he will then start to release his perfect will and his, his gifts and his ministries in your life. And so let's now read on into verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, and he's talking about the ministry grace, not salvation grace, ministry grace. In other words, Paul was graced to be an apostle and a teacher. So he's saying, through the grace, through the anointing of God that he's given to me, 
I say to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And what he's saying is, look, if you're a teacher, don't try and be a prophet. If you're not a prophet, you know, because people tend to be jealous of other types of ministry. So sometimes a teacher can think, well, I want to be more exciting. I want to be sexier. So I think I'll, I'll be a prophet. <laughs> you know, I'm being silly. You know what I mean, though. Um, and, and you try and be something that God hasn't called you to be. So what Paul is saying is you, you need to, learn, you know, stay within the grace that God has graced you with. You, you don't get to control that. God, God controls that. Um, so he says, don't think of yourself too highly, but think soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I think the King James says the measure of faith, but it's not. It's a measure of faith. In other words, God has given you a measure of faith to operate in the grace of God that he's given you. So if God's gracing you to, be, to prophesy, he will give you a measure of faith accordingly. And we see that as we read on. He's talking about ministry grace. Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body and individually members of each other. Now, we are all members of the body, and every member of, the body, of your body has a function, doesn't it? Every, everything has a function, all right? And um, we take them for granted often. But when you, when you lose your foot, then you notice how precious that foot was. And I always say, if you're always complaining about aches and pains in your body, you know, um, a good thing to do is, is to thank, well, your right arm is hurting, so thank God. Thank you, Lord, my left arm is doing very well. Thank you, Lord, my right foot is doing really well. You know, stay. <laughs> but um, we, ha- we're, we all have a function. So every Christian has a ministry a supernatural gracing in some area. Not pulpit necessarily, but in fact, he lists a few now. So he says, so we being many, verse five, are one body in Christ and individually members of each other, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. Have I gone over time? No, I haven't, have I? Good, all right, sorry. Um, In other words, we are to... We are, we are all graced with different gifts, but let us use whatever gift God has given us. If prophesy, if prophecy, which, which doesn't net really mean predicting the future, all right? It, the simple gift of prophecy is, what is it in Corinthians? Edification, exhortation, comfort. It is simply speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, all right? Um, in fact, it says the testimony of Jesus is the te- spirit of prophecy. You might be witnessing to someone, but you're aware that actually the Holy Spirit is flowing through you. He's helping you with the words. You're, you're operating in, in a spirit of prophecy. You're speaking by divine inspiration to a degree. And um, it's really the word of wisdom that is prediction of the future, which is a higher gift. But here, this is really talking about... Prophesy, but prophesy in proportion to your faith, 
All right. So if God gives you a prophecy in the in the gathering and 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 the, you're, you're aware of a quickening in your heart and, and you speak that speak that out, and then you think, oh, I think I, I want to be able to say something more impressive. So you conjure up, you know, maybe you've something, you know, about some world-changing declaration, and but actually you're operating out of your soul. You're, you're operating out of the imagination of your heart uh, because you, you, you want it to, to be bigger in some way. It's always a temptation. So he's saying, do it in proportion to your faith. God's given you an unction to function. Just stay within the grace God's given you. All right? Don't do it to try and impress others or whatever. And then he says, or ministry, which really means serving. Just, you know, rolling up your sleeves that, you know, and, and being a servant, helping in whatever area. That, that is a ministry that God, really, the, some teachers call them motivational gifts. How do you know what your grace to do? Well, usually it's what you love to do. See, I'm, I'm graced to be a teacher more than anything else. But the annoying thing about teachers is, and, unless you want this, is that somebody... Well, you know, bring something up in, in a conversation. I find myself tempted to bring forth a teaching now to, you know, oh, you know, that's interesting. And, you know, that reminds me. And then I, I want to teach them, you know, and, and uh, because that's my motivational gift. I just enjoy doing it, you know. And, and so um, that can be, uh, you know, too much sometimes. You have to know when you're uh, overdoing it. But... Um, if you are motivated to give, you know, you have a special grace in that area, you just love to give. Or if you're motivated just to help, you know, to do the coffees, whatever, you know, it's not just, oh, I'm doing it because no one else is doing it. But, you know, I, you know I'm motivated. I, I love to do it. Why? Because there's a grace on you to do that. And there are many different graces, you know. Um, and... Uh, so he says, for, again, ministry, that means serving. Or we might say helps ministry. Practical, helping people in practical ways. Some people, we should all do it, don't get me wrong, but some people are specially graced in that area. All right? And the, and the more you surrender to the Lord, the more that grace will start to come forth and define your, your life. Um, let's carry on. He who teaches in teaching, there you go. Um, he who exhorts in exhortation. See, I'm much better at teaching than exhortation, all right? You know the exhorter. There's much more emotional, right? Teaching is more to the mind, to, for the under... I want people to understand, because if they don't understand, they're nowhere. But then people also do need something more emotional sometimes, that exhorter, that stirs them up, that excites their heart to, to do God's will, you know? And some people are just gifted in that and um, I, I in the church I need someone else to kind of do that kind of thing because um, I'm, I'm always in teaching but occasionally I, I change gear but my comfort zone is to teach all right that's verse eight he who gives with liberality thank God for givers some people you know are uh, you know they're businessmen or whoever, but they love to give. And God graces them in that area. 
uh, he who gives with liberality. So whatever gift you have, use it to the fullness. And you will find your satisfaction in ministering in your gift. That's a big key to, to happiness, is, is fulfilling what God's called you to do. If God's called you to, an inter- to be an intercessor, you will find satisfaction as you give yourself to that. Well, we all have different gifts. I can't tell you what your gift is. You discover it as you dedicate yourself to God. His spirit comes upon you. And what will happen is you will start getting more and more motivated to, to serve in, in a certain way. And you will sometimes be surprised at what happens. Sometimes it might be your natural talent, anointed. Sometimes, like me, it's a total surprise. It's the last thing I thought I would do is become a teacher when I went up to university. But God does surprise us. Then it says, he who leads with diligence, yeah? If you're going to, if you're going to lead, that, the quality you need to be is diligent. You do have to oversee the detail of everything, you know, to manage things. Some people are gifted in management. I've, I've got an, a medium gift in that, but um, I admire people who really have a strong leadership gift to make things happen and, and so on. But God gave me what I needed to, to start our church and, and, and oversee it. But I see other people who are much greater leaders in that sense. Uh, like I said, my main gifting, I think, is, is being a teacher. But I do manage our church. I do have sufficient of a gift to do that. But, um, you know, so we have a variety of gifts. Uh, there is a truth in the saying. How are we doing? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the saying, uh, which I really like, the, the true version of it, but it says the as a, it became a joke, which is, I'm the jack of all trades and the master of none. Have you heard that? And, and, but the original saying, which is a good saying, is, every gentleman should be a jack of all trades and the master of one. In other words, yes, we need to put our hands, we need to be willing to roll up our sleeves and help out. We need to be willing to, we should all do our share of giving. You know, we should all do our share of praying and all the rest. But ultimately, there's one thing that, that you are to, you know, and this is a, a key to your life, one thing that you should really be expert at, really good at. And, and you, you can't be good at th- three or four. You, you can't be an expert at three or four things. You can't because for me to be a good teacher, I have to devote myself to that. That takes a big part of my life. And, and I can't be, do that. And sometimes you have to bring two together. For me, it's being a teacher and a pastor. I have to find a way of combining those two things. But I think two is almost the max, unless you're some kind of genius. You, you can only be very good at one thing. So for a young person needs to find what is their main, what is their primary gift? What's their primary grace? Because that's telling you how they are to, how their life is, is meant to be. You know what I mean? God gives, it, the Bible talks about the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. So God has a calling for each one of us 
and his gifts are there to help us fulfill that calling. And, and, and as we come to the Lord, he will release those gifts so we can fulfill that calling. So again, we, we, it's good to be a jack of all trades, but we can't be a master of all trades. We have to know our limitations, and we, but we need to know and, and discover what is our main, what is our main gracing, because that's how we can be the be greatest blessing by, by doing that. And it takes time, but before the Lord, it, it will come forth. So again, finally, he says, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And, and so again, the, the one who shows mercy is the one who's compassionate on the weak and the poor. See, Hillary is much more merciful than I am. Well, it's, it's, uh, she's interesting, but uh, if anyone is in weakness, she, her heart goes out to them, you know? If she sees anyone in misbehaving or she's much more quick to be, you know, to bring the hammer down on them, that's why. <laughs> oh yeah, well, yeah. She, she's much more merciful. So, um, some people have a ministry of mercy. You know, they, they love to visit. If I have to visit someone in hospital, I have to overcome my flesh to do it, you know what I mean? Because I, I w really want to be studying, you know, but okay, I've got to go and, and see this person. And God graces me to do that. But it's not, but other people, that's what they love to do. That's what they're great at doing. They're, they're just compassionate like that. I, you know, I wish I was, but we can't be everything. But you maybe have a gift of mercy. You, your heart reaches out to those who are in need and you want to come alongside them and, you know, help them. And so the point is, Paul, this isn't a complete list of gifts because there's another chapter that lists other gifts, but we, you have a, a grace, you have a ministry. And one of the rewards, as you dedicate yourself to God, as the consuming fire of the Spirit starts to fill you, the, your, your anointing and your grace will, will start to come into your soul. And, and one way you'll know what it is is because that's, it, it motivates you. You become motivated in that area. And, and so as opportunities arise, you're the one who says, I, I, I really want to do that. And uh, God will, will open that door. But nothing will happen unless you dedicate yourself to God. Let me, as I wrap up, just point, you can't bypass being a worshiper uh, because these things operate in the spirit. 1 Timothy 2.20, sorry, 2 Timothy 2.20, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Verse 21, therefore if anyone cleanses himself of the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So in other words, he taught, there's a process of cleansing and sanctification. That's what I've been talking about. Cleansing and sanctification by the Spirit. And then you become someone that is useful for the Master's work. And he will then release you. He will, you will hear his voice. You will 
see what you're meant to do. You, you will be empowered by his grace and, and you will enter into serving him, especially with the grace gift that, that he gives you. Praise God. Isn't that how Isaiah entered into his ministry? Isaiah chapter 6, he was in the temple. He was worshipping God. He started to, no, sorry, the, the presence of God came to him. And he entered into worship, but God had to cleanse him of his sin um, by the, the, the coals from the altar, cleansed him from sin. So he, um, just to cut it short, he was entering into worship. And as he worshipped, God's presence cleansed him. And then he heard he heard God on the throne, but only after he had entered into this process of worship and then got, he heard the voice of the Lord. In other words, he dedicated himself to God in worship and then his ears were opened and he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Isaiah 6, 8, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? You will hear the call of God telling you to do something whatever it might be and then you say here am I Lord send me I'll do it and then he was told go and tell the people and then he became one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets probably the greatest you know up to John the Baptist let's pray shall we Could we, let's all stand Let's just make a dedication to God right now, shall we? Lord God, thank you for your mercies. Thank you that you love us so much, that you died for us, that you did everything for us. You've given us eternal life. You've paid the price for us to be blessed in every blessing possible. And we're so grateful, Lord, and we know that you will take care of us for all eternity. So we present ourselves to you right now. We offer ourselves to you, Lord, as a living sacrifice. Lord, we offer our soul to you uh, for you to change us into the person we're meant to be, to make us like Jesus. We, we give you permission to change our heart, to change our soul. And Lord, we offer our body to you to do your will whatever it might be in the earth. Lord, we want your will to be done, not our will. Lord, we offer ourselves to you and fire of the Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, come upon your offer, these offerings. Fire of the living God, fill their hearts, fill their souls. Let the fire, the consuming fire of God, purify, purify them in the name of Jesus, whatever's in the way. Let it be removed. Let it be purified. Oh, Lord, we want to be for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for purifying us. Hallelujah. Sanctifying us. Praise God. And, Lord, I ask right now that you release those gifts. I'm sure they are being released already, but, Lord, release them even more. Those graces, those gifts that you've called us um, to be. Oh, God, thank you for releasing those anointings in the name of Jesus, those anointings to serve you, Lord, effectually, 
praise God, whether it's in prophesying, whether it's in serving, in mercy ministry, in giving, in, in speaking, in preaching, in exhorting, Lord, whatever those gifts are, Lord, release those gifts, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Let that uh, Aaron's rod, as it were, um, their, their anointing in the Spirit, let it be released in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We want to serve you, and we want to make a difference with the rest of our life, Lord. So we ask you to do something special in each of our lives, oh God. Lord, maybe there's an anointing to intercede, to pray. Lord, I pray you release that as never before. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We invite you to fill us, to change us, to make us who we're meant to be as men and women of God. In the name of Jesus, that our latter years will be greater than our former years. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Praise God. All yours. <laughs>